there. Welcome. Welcome to this episode of Appalachian Shine, the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. Hey, we appreciate everybody tuning in, and uh, thanks for the bumper music to our pals, Blues Hammer. That's spelled with a Z. Um, You can find them online if you like the music, if you like the blues. Welcome again to this edition of Appalachian Shine, and uh, wanted to bring uh, to attention a couple of things here. Um, here we are, it's June 12th, and I guess we're starting to open up in various parts of Appalachia, depending on which state you're listening from, and it's about time, I think a lot of us are kind of starting to get a little antsy staying at home, a lot of people needing to get back to work, and hoping they have jobs when they get back, so uh, our thoughts and prayers are out to everybody who's going through that situation, hope things get better for you as we move on into the summer, and I'll tell you one thing I'm missing right now. Appalachian League Baseball, and I'm not sure when we're going to get baseball back, uh, even at the major league level, uh, but I'm really jonesing for a trip to either Bluefield or to watch the Miners or Princeton or uh, Pulaski or Bristol or any of those places in uh, eastern Tennessee and and even uh, some of the small towns throughout Kentucky. You know, it's uh, baseball, such a, uh, baseball always had such a big history here in Appalachia. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about on these episodes before, and as those of you who have followed our foundation, you know that we want to put a big focus on uh, the history and culture uh, and arts in our region as, as one of the things that, you know, some of the things that we focus on. And uh, I'm not sure how many of us actually knew the rich history of baseball. Uh, you know, maybe 60, 70 years ago, people would have been a lot more familiar with it today. It's kind of like a piece of our lost history, even though we still have the Appalachian League Baseball uh, um, League. But, you know, even though we're missing that right now, I did some digging and I found like, you know, so many of these small towns had baseball teams back in, uh, you know, through the uh, right after, actually right after the Civil War. So even though we should be up on another season of Appalachian League Baseball, uh, the game has been a part of our lives here in this region for as long as baseball has been played in our country. However, there's a much longer and somewhat forgotten history throughout our region uh, about our national pastime. It's, it is much older than the Appy League, and it goes back, like I said, to the years after the Civil War, to a time when companies would set up shop in a, throughout the region to begin coal mining. <clears throat> now, as coal camps became common throughout uh, Appalachia, the need for some form of entertainment and community bonding was really necessary in the daily lives of our friends and families in that era. Uh, baseball fever began to catch on after the Civil War, and many of the small towns throughout the region formed their own teams. Um, one team I actually researched a while back was uh, Withville, uh, from, a team from Withville, Virginia. Um, these teams weren't professional teams, but the players, which were mostly coal miners in central Appalachia, uh, were very competitive, and they took the game seriously. Baseball was a way to bring the community get together in these coal camps, and teams would play other local teams from surrounding towns and counties, mostly just for bragging rights. Now, um, in fact, Raleigh County, West Virginia, had an, what's called an A-League, a B-League, and a United Mine Workers League. So three different leagues. So they had teams in three different leagues. For those that weren't very good at baseball, softball was another fun alternative that kept everyone in the community interested in the game, and these teams sprang up everywhere, too. But baseball flourished in the early 1900s, 
up until World War II, and then after that, many parts of daily life obviously had to change. Uh, technology in the coal mines changed. Uh, what once took 300 miners by 1950 only took 80 miners um, by you know th by 1950, maybe only took 80 miners to do a job that you know 15, 20 years before only took 300. Um, so that changed the dynamic of coal camps and coal mining towns everywhere. Also, the advent of television and movie theaters and cars being more accessible. That changed how people in these small towns uh, here in Appalachia chose their entertainment. So by 1950, most of these community teams had pretty much all but disappeared. And although this is a big part of history during the 20th century, most of it's been lost and forgotten. And if you have memories of baseball during this era or know of you know, grandparents or great-grandparents and maybe have some memories of this and have a story to tell, please share it with us. We'd love to hear that. And if you have old photos to share, please do. This is a lost part of our history that needs to be saved. And it was such an important part of our communities back then for just community bonding that it really should never be forgotten. Now, there's uh, doing some research, I did find some links uh, that you could uh, go to to read a little bit more about baseball during that era. And one of them is... Uh, www.swvamuseum.org forward slash coal camps dot html and i had a couple others as well i can post these up on our facebook page for the foundation for appalachian advancement and you can go and take a look at them there <clears throat> but you know it's such a fascinating history that we have um and you know that was you know that's one area i think that i you know I think it's deserving of a book at some point, and I'd love for our foundation to be able to do that. would take some funding and a good amount of research. So if this is something you'd be interested in and maybe contacting us if you have information that, that could be helpful for us, please, by all means, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email at uh, info at supportappalachia.org and just put baseball in the uh, subject field, and I promise you I will get back with you quickly. Now, there's another piece of history that uh, through this region, you know, I, I think probably older folks would probably know, but, you know, a lot of folks my age, and I'm, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, but most of us, you know, I kind of forget these, these things about our history. And, you know, Appalachia is filled with legends and heroes. Some of those people carry a guitar. Some of them trek the mountains on horseback, delivering health care to people off the grid, uh, like Mary Breckenridge, which is another episode we'll We'll, we'll talk about Mary Breckenridge in another uh, later um, podcast. But some of them earned their legendary and hero status on the battlefields. And m one of the most revered heroes of all time is actually an Appalachian man from northeast Tennessee. And as I you know talk a little bit about it, you may be able to guess who it is, right? He was born in a two-room cabin in a town called Pall Mall, Tennessee in Fentress County, which is near the Kentucky border. His name was Alvin York, and Alvin York became a legend and a war hero. He became a national hero and uh, an international celebrity because this man was one of the bravest people that you could probably ever read about uh, for his accomplishments during World War I. <clears throat> now, before uh, Alvin York left uh, for the war, he had never been 50, further than 50 miles from his home in Tennessee in his entire life. So in October of 1918, during the Argonne Offensive in France in World War I, 
he was one of uh, 17 soldiers that were designated with this really dangerous job. They had to cross enemy lines and take out machine gun positions. So at one point uh, on this particular evening in October of 1918, their patrol goes out and they captured a group of German soldiers. But in that fight, it ended up killing six U.S. troops and wounding another three. Now, of those remaining, York was the highest-ranking guy, and he was still well enough uh, to continue the mission. So actually what he did is he left his men back behind to guard the prisoners, and then he went and attacked the machine gun position. Now, in this fight, he killed several enemy soldiers uh, using his rifle before he ran out of bullets. Six more enemy soldiers rushed him with their bayonets, but he was quick enough and thought quick enough to grab his pistol, and he killed all six of them. The enemy officer that was operating the machine gun went for his own pistol, and he beat York to the draw. He fired all six rounds, or at, not six, but he fired every round he had in his gun at York. And to the surprise of both of them, every single shot missed him. So the German officer at that point offered to surrender to save his own life. York accepted his surrender. <clears throat> then York and his men made their way back to their command post with over 120 prisoners. Imagine that. 19 of them set out. Um, a good number of them wounded. Nine of them wounded. And they come back with 120 prisoners. York is a national war hero. A national hero and an international celebrity. Um, because of his bravery. And his celebrity was cemented in 1941 with the hit film Sergeant York. Now, many in our generation may have never seen this. If you watch the channel AMC, American Movie Classics, occasionally you'll see it. Um, but Sergeant York, uh, that the movie Sergeant York hit the big screen, and it was the highest grossing film of 1941. And famous actor Gary Cooper played the title role. And he won the Academy Award for Best Actor, portraying Alvin York. Uh, the American Film Institute actually ranked York uh, the th number 35 in the top 50 heroes in American movies. So even after that, York, you know, being a national hero and international celebrity now, he led a pretty fascinating life even after returning home from the war. He actually became an advocate for American military strength and took a really hard, uh, hard line on Russia, especially during the start of the Cold War. Uh, and he even encouraged our military and our leadership to make a first strike with an atomic bomb. So, you know, he was kind of running around saying, hey, let's just hit Russia. And he has a famous quote saying, if they can't find anyone else to push the button, I will. <laughs> so anyway, York, certainly a brave man uh, from northeast Tennessee right here in the heart of Appalachia. York passed away in 1964 at a, at a VA hospital in Nashville, but he's buried at home uh, at his, in his hometown of Palm Mall. Um, the location uh, where his family farm was at, it's now open to visitors. It's now designated as the Sergeant Alvin C. York State Historic Park, uh, which is along the uh, Wolf River in Palm Mall. So that's a pretty fascinating couple of pretty fascinating pieces of history from right here in our, our neck of the woods. Um, and so, like I said, we have such a unique and, and long history. And the fear is as our economy changes, and we've seen so many you know, economic 
distress, you know, so many counties in Appalachia under economic distress that we've seen small towns over the years kind of disappear or fade away, and we'll likely see that continue. So somebody has to preserve all that rich history from all these small towns. And I hope that if you're listening today that you're a, you're a fan of history and, and kind of love your own history there where you're located and will take an active role in recording that history. Someone has to do it. Our foundation would love to be able to do that, too. As a matter of fact, we put in for grants for this, but it's a wildly expensive program that we wanted to do. But we're, nonetheless, we're going to continue our push to um, research and, and preserve some of our history, whether it's through podcasts or hopefully future books, like I said, we wanted to work on. <clears throat> Which brings me to another um, topic I wanted to mention. I know during this during the times of the coronavirus and the pandemic, a lot of people aren't working or just starting to get back to work. A lot of small businesses have been closed down. And also, it's put a lot of stress on our counties and our states that may have had surpluses, but now counties are running way in the red under budgeting. And that really puts a lot of, um, you know, kind of a stranglehold on funds for organizations like ourselves here at the foundation. So occasionally what we'll do on our Facebook page is we'll uh, host a fundraiser just, uh, you know, that you can click right there and donate through Facebook using your debit or credit card. And on our Facebook page, we probably have about 800 to 900 people following us. We'd really like to have a much bigger following. We know there's a lot of other Appalachian pages out there that have huge followings. Um, so if you're on one of those and you're here on this podcast, gravitate over and give us a like, too. Um, you know, We will try to share some interesting things on there as well. Um, but occasionally we'll do a, a, a fundraiser there. And one of my challenges is, and we actually have one going right now, that um, if you're reading that, if you would make a small donation between $1 and $5, not much at all, and then share the link with others and try to get others. If everyone on there did a dollar, we're looking at you know close to $900 in donations. So we're actually going to hold that open from now between now and the 19th when that uh, fundraiser closes. So I started off with 10 bucks, and uh, I noticed another person had put 10 So from the time I posted just a short bit ago, we got a couple of donations. So uh, pop on over there if you want to make a donation through Facebook. Another way to do this, I know during this time a lot of people have been doing shopping online, and I certainly have. Um, so uh, Amazon has been doing quite well, <laughs> as everyone knows. If you buy a lot on Amazon or, or occasionally shop on Amazon, they have a program called Smile that a percentage of your purchases, they will actually make a donation uh, to a charity of your choice. So the way to do this is actually quite simple. We've registered the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement through that program on Amazon. So if you go to the link www.smile.amazon.com, you'll have an opportunity to pick which charity that you want to support. So just you can go down there and search for us, Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. We are a 501c3 organization. So your donations, even if you write a check, is tax deductible. But you can choose us, and then every time you go to shop, when you have your items in your cart, just go back to smile.amazon.com. Your cart is still there. It's the same Amazon. Just click on your cart to check out, and it will know that that purchase, that you want the percentage of, of that purchase to go to for Amazon to make a donation to our foundation. Now, it may not sound like much, <clears throat> and uh, you know every penny counts, but the more people that sign up for it, the more likely we're going to get 
you know, it's, you know, hopefully a significant amount of donations that we may not even have to go and ask for grants. And just because people are shopping on Amazon, which would be great if we could do that. Let me give you a power, an example of how powerful that program is. Last year, the Nature Conservancy a nonprofit, that charity, made over $3 million in donations from Amazon Smile Program. So enough people picked their charity on Amazon that when they shopped, it amounted to over $3 million in 2019. That's powerful. Now, obviously, not as many people know about this as they do the Nature Conservancy, but that's where you come in. And we'd love for you to share uh, our foundation with your friends, your family, and anybody that you know shops. So you can share that link on uh, on your Facebook pages, on your social media pages. We've put it up on our foundation page as well on uh, support on uh, Facebook. So you can just easily click share. And we encourage you to do that and choose us as your uh, local charity. We hope you certainly would. And uh, you know, over time, it makes a difference. And uh, that you know, all the difference that we can we can try to do to highlight our region for tourism to bring new dollars in, highlighting our history, our, our artists, our culture, you know, everything, the, you know, shining a light on the best of what we have to offer here in Appalachia, including the economic opportunity that may be out there that we can steer Congress, public conversations to um, down the road as well, because, you know, there's nothing that we want to see more than a vibrant economy, a rich culture, thriving with artists, and a beautiful history that we all love to share. So I want to thank you again for tuning in to this episode of Appalachian Shine. And uh, don't forget to uh, jump on Amazon and Facebook and support us. And if you want to go to our Facebook page, we'd love everybody, like I said, to contribute, you know, $1. And, uh, you know, the more people that do it, the better off we're going to be. You know, $1 is not much, but if you did it once a month, uh, that'd be $9,600 roughly a year based on our current number of followers on Facebook. That pays for a few things. And we're all volunteers here, so um, it certainly helps uh, whatever knowing that whatever you contribute to goes goes into the program or the mission that you want it to, to accomplish. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we'll certainly see you again next time on Appalachia Shine. Thanks again, and take care, everyone.